0: A Podcast one production. Hi, welcome to Crappy to Happy with Tiff and Cass. Thanks for joining us. In this series, we're going to look at ways to help you go from well feeling really crappy to feeling happy mentally, physically, and emotionally. Last episode, we talked about exercise, how to move it, and to feel more well. This episode, we're going to talk about how to tame your inner critic. So, Cass, inner critic, we've all got that voice in our heads. Yeah, we sure do. Telling us we're not good enough, I've got it, everyone has it. Yes. So, how do you tame it? How do you take control?
1: Great topic. So, yeah, you're quite right. We do all have this inner kind of critic in our heads walking around with us, all day long, and we touched on this a little bit. I think when we did our perfectionism episode, and we talked about how I was saying how we've all got this a version of the "not good enough" story mm-hmm. that we play kind of on repeat. And so it's really, you know, if you want to talk about ways to feel crappy, having somebody following you around, telling you all day what's crappy about you and all the things that are wrong with you is, you know, it's it's pretty exhausting, exhausting, and yeah, not very nice. So I think it is really important that we have a look at this. And one thing that I found really interesting just recently actually Mm. was the role that our brain actually plays in this. Because I think we all think that it's just me, like it's Mm -hmm. just me that's got this constant negative self-critical talk. Going on, but what I learned is that there is our, our brain. Can we talk about the brain for a minute? I love talking about the brain. <laughs> so when our brain is engaged in a task, mm-hmm. um, it, it certain parts of the brain light up. You know, so we're actively engaged in a mental kind of task. Mm-hmm. When you would think, you would assume that when we're not engaged in a task, that our brain kind of just has a bit of a rest, like steps, you know, stands Mm -hmm. down, all the electrical activity in our brain switches off. What they actually found was when our brains are not engaged in a task, it Mm -hmm. actually, our brain lights up even more. There's even more activity. And when you look at the parts of the brain that light up, they're very much, so they call this the default mode network of your brain. So this is Mm -hmm. when you're not engaged in a mental kind of Effort, Mm -hmm. this default mode lights up. And the parts of the brain that light up are all to do with self referential thinking. So this Uh, is what we've all got a story about. We're all just constantly thinking about me, I, my problems, my job, my this, my that. Yes. (laughs) So the part of the brain involved in the self, closely connected to the part of the brain associated with finding problems. Mm -hmm. So that's our negativity bias that we talked about as well, that we really focus on all the things that are wrong and all Mm -hmm. the problems. And then also this other part of the brain that comes online is this, this kind of imagining other people's perceptions. So we've essentially got... Me, what's wrong with me, what other people think about me. <laughs> and, and this is why we are constantly engaged in this negative, oh. pro, like, problem finding. Yes. Um, when our brain – so this – what happens is once we go to think about something deliberately, do some, some job, you know, we, it, we shift away from the self-referential and we actually put our attention onto doing something, you mm-hmm. know, m- focusing on a problem. As soon as we're not anymore, we come back to this default of – so, Cassie, me, what's
0: wrong with me? If we're wired to be we're wired, like we're, if we're wired <laughs> to be self-critical, it what is the way. reason?
1: This is a lot to do with evolutionary biology. Mm-hmm. So, in in other words, like how we have been, um, you know, at, what's in our DNA from a survival um, perspective. So we've come, we've descended from the cave people, yes. and we have certain traits and um, qualities uh, wired into us for our survival. And so that negativity bias is about we are programmed to look for the potential threat mm-hmm. in our world because that keeps us safe. So the more risk-averse one is, then the more likely that person would be to stay alive and reproduce. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we always talk about the story of like it could be a berry bush or it could be a bear. You know, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, it's probably a berry bush and it's safe to go near it. But that one time it's a bear, yeah. you're dead. So it's the person who always th- assumes that maybe it's a bear that is more likely to reproduce. And so it's it literally in our DNA, this, uh, this risk <sighs> aversion. And so these days we don't necessarily have bears Mm -hmm. You know, we're not necessarily in danger for, you know, in fear of our lives, but we're also hardwired from that social, um, you know, belonging kind of perspective. We actually are programmed to belong to a tribe because also we wouldn't survive unless we were accepted by a tribe. Super social. If we were left on our own, we'd be Mm -hmm. left for dead. Mm -hmm. So we've got this innate need to be accepted and to belong. And Mm -hmm. so the risk, these days, I mean, our brain defaults to looking for risk, and mm-hmm. it's really defaulting more to will people like me? Will they reject me? What will they think about me? Um, mm. you know, so yeah, it's survival, you absolutely. S- you can see how we've we do tend to default to this uh-huh. state of constantly like checking. Like, it's, it's these days, it's not a bear we're afraid of, it's a bad performance appraisal yes. or it's somebody talking about me or judging uh, a, me, a negative
0: comment on Facebook, a negative and comment,
1: <laughs> Cass. Do you think? It's exacerbated because we are living
0: in a social media world. We're not only social, but we are social media has.
1: Oh. You know, yeah.
0: we're comparing ourselves every day. So comparison does that feed into this negative bias, default, hardwired, yeah. horrible brain
1: that we have? Yeah, I think that there's another whole um, psychological theory about self comparison. Yeah, and the fact that we are also it's fundamentally sort of built into our. Um, Psychology to Mm -hmm. be constantly comparing ourselves with others to sort of evaluate where we're at in in the tribe, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And certainly, you know, when this theory was put forward in the 50s, Leon Mm -hmm. Festinger was a psychologist who developed this self comparison theory. It was like, well, without in the absence of any um, measurable information, we sort of just look around to check how we're going compared to our friends, neighbors, colleagues, Mm -hmm. peers. But of course, back in the 50s probably literally it was your neighbours and your family and your colleagues at work. And these days we have access to the whole world. Like we've got celebrity culture, reality T V, social mm-hmm. media, we've got all of these other inputs. behind
0: closed doors these days. That we're comparing yeah.
1: ourselves to and not necessarily filtering out, you know, mm. the fact that this is this is, you know, it's the whole highlights real thing. Yes. You know, comparing our Inside to somebody else's outside. Yes.
0: Going back to it being in our DNA, yeah. that it's evolutionary. Yeah. You're saying it's not my fault that I have all these negative thoughts all day and that I'm being critical about myself. Not at all. So it's actually quite normal to have that self judgment. Yeah. And well, that sort of makes me feel a little bit better <laughs> <laughs> in it's- thinking of it as like, well, everyone's got a little devil on their shoulder. Yes. And something that helped me years and years ago when I was competing in sport in Taekwondo and always defaulting to not good enough, not strong enough, being terrified, ants. you know, all those, ants. All those automatic like thoughts, thoughts that we talked about that are like ants that run through your brain. You have to tame them, mm-hmm. make them your pets. Turn them into pets. Yes. Um, and it, someone said to me, thoughts can be liars. Absolutely. This is yeah. Because when you have a thought, you automatically believe it thoughts and it feels real. And you think, "Oh, I, I you know, my roundhouse kick isn't as fast as their roundhouse kick in a fight, right?" But w- as soon as I started to say that to myself, thoughts thoughts can lie. They're not true. Yeah. And I would picture like a ribbon and a negative thought would come in and I just pull that ribbon <laughs> out of my ear. And it helped me in sport. For example, I went for my sixth stand black belt accreditation, which is huge. One of the massive. You know, I I became one of the highest qualified martial artists in the world for my age. And on the day I had to break 10 boards with oh. my hands and my feet, and they were quite thick. And I had to had to do it in 12 seconds. Oh my gosh. And I broke all the boards. And fantastic. I passed. But I did slip on one and the kick wasn't technically as perfect as I wanted and someone pointed that out. And of the whole grading and even though I had passed and even though it had been certified in Korea by the World Taekwondo um, Headquarters, One, and I had a licence that said I'm a six-stand black belt, all I remember of that day yeah. still now is thing, that, that, that one wrong. kick – that one kick that wasn't technically as perfect and that one person who loved to point it out. So, (laughs) you know, it it takes away
1: from the joy of life, Cass. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great example. That's that perfectionism thing coming in, which Mm. is obviously there's a big component of this self-criticism in that. Mm. And we talked about that a lot the other day. But that's what the negativity bias is. It's that focusing on the one thing that is, you know, the one little thing that is not perfect, mm-hmm. or that it doesn't go right, as mm-hmm. opposed to all of the other stuff that That one that, comment. That is... Or- yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Interestingly, like, even though we do know this is sort of wired into us, what I also thought was really interesting was that, because what you just said then, mm-hmm. sorry, you said thoughts aren't facts, and that's, yeah. that's essentially, we'll get to that, mm-hmm. because that's kind of the answer. But... Um, back, I always love this story of back, it must have been 10, 20 years ago, a group of Westerners had an audience with the Dalai Lama and Sharon Salzberg, who's quite a big name in the meditation kind of world. She's a meditation teacher and she's very big on self-compassion. Mm-hmm. She came to mindfulness and that whole Buddhist philosophy because of her own issues with self-judgment and self-criticism. So she asked the Dalai Lama, what does he think about this whole idea of self, self-hatred and self-loathing and what- self?" And he, if you've ever seen the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. live, which I have a few times, he's got this little translator that he sits next to. And he said, hang on a second. He goes in, and, they and somebody translates and he comes back and gives the answer. He was back and forth to this translator. He was like, why not? Just, just could not work it out. He came back and he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He could not work out that that human beings would dislike themselves. Like for him as a Buddhist monk, no. he believes that we've all got this essential yes. Buddha nature. And he was astonished. That Westerners would have this kind of self, this any concept of self-hatred or self-loathing or self hatred or self loathing or self—it is horrible. So you know we are we are wired, but there are certainly things that we can do to shift it. I think you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's not necessarily we can see it for what it is, and we mm. don't necessarily have to, like you said, buy into it. And there are ways that we can kind of I turn that around. I want to hear these tips because w- one thing that has been said
0: to me before speak to yourself as you would speak to your best friend. You would never Never say say you're such a loser, right? Even if that's in your head, you know, (laughs) in moments during the day. Um, But easier said than done, Cass. It's like, okay, I can speak well to myself, Mm. but, you know, it does take practice and I'm particularly interested in this because of sports psychology. I've seen um, many Olympians that my dad worked with, positive self-talk and it can be you know, the difference between a gold and silver medal. Yeah. So let's figure it out. We've got this little meanie sitting on our shoulder, Mm -hmm. having a go at us all day, Mm -hmm. being really critical. Mm. And How do I silence them?
1: Well, silence, I'm not so sure. I tend to go by the philosophy that sometimes we have to accept that there's a little bit of this... Um, whether it's self-criticism or anxiety or a bit of stress or a bit of worry or whatever, that some of it comes along for the ride. I think having the goal to eliminate it can be almost self-defeating because then you start getting critical of yourself for your (laughs) self-criticism. You know, like you said before, so I don't have to blame myself for this. Mm -hmm. Well, we do have a tendency to do that. We sort of think, if I said to you, Tiff, that's just crap. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to talk to yourself like that. Just stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Just stop. Mm -hmm. Like the next time that you have that thought, you become God, Damn it! There I go again with that self-critical talk. Yes. You know what's what's wrong with me that I can't stop this. Yes. So we have to allow. We have to kind of have a level of acceptance that it is mm-hmm. kind of normal. Mm-hmm. But also we can remember exactly what you said that thoughts aren't facts. Mm-hmm. So it starts with a level of awareness. Mm-hmm. And I think you know you can you can go out through your day. And just have the intention of being an observer of your thoughts. That's a really interesting thing to do. I did it myself once. I was thinking, you know, I'm pretty good. to I'm pretty like myself. I'm pretty good with all of that stuff. And I do mindfulness. Yes, I do meditation. And you're a psychologist. <laughs> I got it all sorted. <laughs> my brain's so tidy. I got it, I got it <laughs> sorted. And then I got up one day and I went to get dressed. And I was like, oh, God, these jeans still don't fit me. Oh, and then I went to do my daughter's, I got my daughter's lunchbox out. And I was like, mm, yeah, there's the processed muesli bar again instead of the oh. homemade one. And then you go, you know, to the shopping and I'm buying the this and not the organic that I know that I really should be, but I just Mm. don't have the time to go to that. So it's almost this constant, without even realising it, 60,000 thoughts we have per day and a lot of them are negative and a lot of them are habitual. A lot of them are exactly the same thoughts that you had yesterday, you will have again today. And I was like, okay, well, there you go. So apparently I haven't got this sorted as much as I thought. 60,000 thoughts.
0: Yeah. And if you think of a thought as energy, that's a lot of negative energy Absolutely. flowing through your body Absolutely. and creating stress, and it must trigger the stress hormone yeah, it cortisol. Does. And yeah, it does. Yeah,
1: it does. Uh. All of this negative thinking. So I think that's point one: awareness.
0: Mm. Let's break down what you mean by observing your mind, because yeah. I am my mind, I am my brain. I can't. Good point. What do you mean?
1: Good point, because we all tend to. This is what we what we learn and what we teach with the whole mindfulness. Thing. So, it's, this is
0: mindfulness it's a, 101. Yeah, it is. Obs- it is. Observation. Of it's your cultivating
1: thoughts. this capacity because we are very fused. There's mm-hmm. a term in psychology called fused. You know, we're very fused with our thoughts. In other words, we are in our head, consumed by, believing, identified with everything that we think. It's like, this is just me. This is what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we're trying to do is to defuse, so to kind of unhook the part of ourselves. I know this sounds a bit. Out there, but like there's a part of us that's doing the thinking, and there's another part of us that can actually observe that process happening. It's like, have you ever been in the middle of an argument with somebody, and at the same time that you're having the argument, there's another part of you going, this is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> Like, what am I doing yeah. here? You know, there's Or that. what's for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't even want to be having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's this other part of you that that actually is there stepping back and observing everything mm. that's happening as it's happening. And we have these moments where we catch ourselves. Like, you can be walking along and really engrossed in some thought about worrying about something or what I need to do. And then you can kind of catch yourself and say, oh, what am I doing? I don't need to be thinking about this now. Mm. And it's that capacity to be able to catch yourself and pull yourself out of that thinking and be able to then have a strategy for shifting that thinking or unhooking. We don't want to you know, push thoughts away and say don't think that because mm-hmm. they come back in full force. Mm-hmm. You know, There's that saying, what you resist persists. Mm-hmm. It's like if I tell you, I use this all the time, I say if I tell you just for the next five minutes not to think about yellow Jeep Wranglers or just anything else but Jeep, yellow Jeep Wranglers, like, go that's just, it. just five minutes. I no, can't. no, no. Well, the research would show that not only will you think more about Jeep mm. Wranglers than you ever would have for the next five minutes, but for the rest of the day, you will have random thoughts of Jeep Wranglers popping in your that's head. That's what I
0: tell people when they come <laughs> up to me and say, I'm cutting out carbs. And I said, You'll just dream of croissants. Yes, like, exactly.
1: That's the diet so conversation mm. we had too. Mm-hmm. You would cut it out. So that's exactly that. So mm-hmm. you can't push out thoughts and say, Don't think that. Not only will they come back in full force, mm-hmm. but then you just add on this second layer of self criticism and self judgment because you can't push the thought yes. out so you end up just tying yourself into this knot. So that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. The answer is to be able to see the thought, like to see it show up to as as much as you can and it's you know it takes practice and you won't ca- do it all the time. There's an element of self compassion here again. Yes. Where every now and again when you do catch yourself you just po- stop yeah. yourself and you say, "Hang on a second. Thoughts aren't facts." Like, I don't need to, this is not really helping me right now. This is not really serving me to be focusing on this. And that applies to any thoughts, like not just the self-critical thoughts, but Mm -hmm. the worry thoughts, the depressed thoughts, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the, anticipating every worst-case scenario thoughts, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people get really caught up in. But when we're talking about self-criticism, it's all of those getting down on yourself, self-judgment and focusing on what you've done wrong or not good enough that you can say, well, hang on, hang on, this is – I don't need to really – So much energy, negative Mm. energy
0: and stress in the body. Unhook, Mm -hmm. redirect. I'm going about my day, these negative thoughts are coming in and I'm recognising them, I'm unhooking, but how can I practise this more strictly, like –
1: Yeah, that's a good question because that capacity to be able to notice your thoughts, as Mm -hmm. most of us would know, it's not something that comes naturally. It is a skill that you have to practice. It's a mental skill that needs to be trained. And the best way to train that is meditation. So mindfulness meditation is essentially, it's about taking time out of your day. We've talked about this before, I know, but it's carving out time to sit and simply be with you whatever is happening in the moment which sounds like really tedious and boring and why would I do that but as you sit and you just focus on your breath what you've soon notice you could sit here and do it right now but you take a breath or you take a breath or two and before you know it your mind has wandered Mm -hmm. and as soon as you notice that your mind has wandered you just recognize that that's happened and you bring it back and then you might meditate people tell me all the time I can't meditate because I can't stop this my mind wandering well the point is not to stop the mind wandering Mm -hmm. the point is to simply notice when it has wandered And to bring it back. And in doing that, you start to actually become much more um, skilled Mm -hmm. at noticing where your mind wants to go. That's clever. And then at its core too, it's about the non-judgment. So I don't actually beat myself up for my mind wandering. That's Mm -hmm. very natural. But I can recognize that my mind's gone off somewhere where I don't want it to be. And I can actually just learn to let that go and come back to where I do want it Mm. to be. So. It's not really re- realistic to expect yourself to be able to instantly have that skill without mm-hmm. putting some effort into practicing yeah. it.
0: It's like anything, like your mind gym, you have to train yeah. within it a little bit. Yeah, I it get is. It.
1: And, so, and the other thing is that what you do in that moment is that you you notice your thoughts, you notice your feelings, and you actually just allow space for all of it. Mm-hmm. So as you go through your day, you'll have positive experiences and negative experiences. So it's just being actually present to mm-hmm what's happening as it's happening so that then you can make a conscious choice or a more wise choice about what to do in the moment instead of what we normally do, which is spend our day just reacting. Yes. React, react, react. Horrible, horrible. Yeah. Have a thought. I think I tell myself something, I react. Whereas I have a thought, I observe it. I choose Mm -hmm. how I want to respond. Yeah, Fundamental difference. I love that. That is so helpful. So
0: if our brains are quite plastic Mm. and they can change, Mm. are there ways that we can override this negative default and this self-criticism a little bit? We can shift it. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Crappy to Happy with Tiff and Cass. And after the break, we're going to come back and talk about how we can override this negative default. Welcome back to Crappy to Happy with Tiff and Cass. We're talking about self-criticism and how we default to being self-critical. Cass, is there anything we can do to change
1: our brains? Because the brain's quite plastic. We can change it, can't we? Yeah, our brain is plastic. And that's what's so exciting these days is Mm -hmm. that whole field of neuroplasticity and knowing that there are things that we can consciously do to change, you know, how we habitually think and feel and that actually... They do change the structure and the function of our brain, and we've already talked about mindfulness meditation. So that's a that's a number one. That's a big one. Focusing, mm-hmm. um, practicing mindfulness meditation is proven to thicken the grey matter in your brain in areas that are more associated with positive thinking. Um, you know, emotional regulation, things like this in the prefrontal. It is amazing, isn't
0: it? So important. And how it do is. they? How do they see that, Cass?
1: Well, with fMRI studies, yeah. so um, imaging imagery of the actual brain. They can, mm-hmm. they take pictures of the brain and before they show, and afters. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And thickening of the grey matter. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. Also, um, the you know brain. I'm not a neuroscientist, but you know they, they can see the activity of the brain and a reduction in activity and almost shrinking of. Um, areas of the brain associated with fear and anxiety. So that's all of that negative, you know, risk-averse kind of thinking as well. So Mm -hmm. it physically, it actually physically changes the structure and function of your brain. You can do that with mindfulness meditation and also with some of these other ways of thinking by habitually and deliberately adding more of the positive kind of thoughts into Mm. into your day. Instead of defaulting constantly to these negatives, we know that, for example, gratitude. Focusing on gratitude is a huge one. Um, just a daily practice of even just acknowledging what you're grateful for, keeping a gratitude journal, writing gratitude letters. I do it before I go to sleep. That's just great. My top three gratefuls before I fall asleep. I don't yeah, know if it works. It works. Mm-hmm. And some studies have shown that you know doing it once or twice a week is actually more effective than doing it every day. Because, but that's a very individual thing. For some people, you, what you don't want is for it to become robotic. Yes, like to list the and same not three things every day. You want to feel grateful yeah, with feeling. Yeah, gratitude fastest way to turn around a crappy mood, actually, to to focus on gratitude. It's well proven. An attitude of gratitude. attitude of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I guess also deliberately shifting your focus to what's going well, as I said before, uh, and deliberately cultivating this kind of self-kindness, which we have already talked about, doesn't necessarily come easily or naturally. So we actually have to practice that. And I think we talked about self-compassion Mm -hmm. earlier might have been when we talked about perfectionism because it's a big, you know, it's a big uh, issue there as well. So the thing about self-compassion is that it touches on the mindfulness which we've already talked Uh about. So number one, the being aware of what's happening Mm -hmm. instead of being completely identified with these thoughts. The number two is the Common humanity, which you touched on Mm -hmm. very nicely before, recognising that this isn't just me. Mm -hmm. Like we all have these thoughts. We all default to these, you know, we've all got this inner critic walking around in our heads. Um, You know, it's not just me that's Mm. constantly down on myself. And the third is the uh, self shifting to self-kindness over self-judgment. So treating yourself as you would a friend. Mm -hmm. Asking yourself, deliberately saying to yourself, how would I speak to my best friend if she was... Mm. in this situation right now? Would I say these things to somebody that I care about? Would I say no. these things to my child? No. You know? So well. No, so why then do I think that this is okay to say these things and to beat me? beat myself up. To beat myself mm. up. I think also one thing that I have found is to ask yourself, did anybody get motivated... To achieve anything by somebody criticizing and shaming them. No. You know, like it's not motivating. I think that th- what we think is that if we become more kind or compassionate to ourselves, that we'll get slack, they sort of perceive it as a bit self-indulgent or a bit self soft uh, soft. Yeah. And that we actually know we need to push ourselves and we need to know, I'm not about that at know all. what our negative qualities are so that we can fix them, mm. you know, do better. But actually, that doesn't work. It Mm. actually, it's proven that self-criticism doesn't motivate anybody. In fact, people perform less well um, on goals with a self-critical attitude than with a self-compassionate attitude. Really? Yeah. See, that's always been
0: my way as a trainer. I've never been like... Look at your weakness. You can do ten no. more push ups. You push through that pain. It doesn't I've work. I've always celebrated. You did two push ups. <laughs> yes, you're legend. I yeah. don't know. It's, that's great. And I that's- found it works with people, training people, working with people every single day over a span of sixteen years. Whether it's teaching kids taekwondo or working with contestants on The Biggest Loser or training even celebrities, I know that pointing out their weaknesses or, you know, that sort of yelling at them, you're weak. You can't do that push up. You're, you're nothing. Does anybody push respond through to that? that. <laughs> they never respond. No, they oh. don't. So as a trainer, I worked out very early on that encouragement. And when I was training someone, I would do this thing called praise, feedback, praise. It was the best way to correct them. So I'd say, you're doing a really great job. That's a really strong key up like, yeah, in Taekwondo to the kid. But, you know, make sure your wrist is straight with the punch. You'll have more power. You're doing a great job. Praise little bit of feedback, praise. And they would respond to that much better. But that was just trial and error on my part. But it's it's great to hear their scientific evidence for that approach.
1: And you've also raised a really good point there about when you notice this inner critic, oftentimes it is somebody else's voice in your head. Really? Well, you know, we internalise the voices of of our adult caregivers, Mm. teachers, you know, so adults are kind of, we don't want to go like in a great detail to this, but obviously Mm. we are, as little people, told how to behave, what's acceptable, you know, what you need to do to be, you know, good, you Mm -hmm. know, good kid, you know. And so oftentimes when we... As we grow up and to fit into a world and with all of this, you know, mm-hmm. needing to fit in and belong and be accepted and do well, mm-hmm. this voice that shows up is oftentimes – you can say to yourself, well, who's who, who does this sound like? And you That's might so hear a teacher or a sports coach or a parent or, mm. you know, and you can recognize that actually I don't have to own that anymore. No. I can actually – bring into like a kinder more compassionate yeah, voice and also like you said observe it and and ask is,
0: is that a fact is that true what they said is that still that relevant carried that still- around for so many years and then you think mm that's not really true of me or what I'm capable of like I told you the other day growing up at uh, going like I told you the other day at school being blonde yes. I was teased about that that's not true. The colour of my hair doesn't inform how intelligent I am. Yeah, yeah. I've had that blonde stuff as well. Yeah, it's so silly. I went <laughs> yeah. to an all-girls school and they were all like, Same. No. <laughs> but it's very interesting. Something I wanted to ask you about, Cass, is about visualisation because it was a big part of um, when I was competing as an athlete, we would be taught how to visualise how competition would go. For example, getting that point or... Um, I know when I was a gladiator, we did a lot of visualization with our coaches in terms of the outcome of uh, rock climbing events and things that I had never done before. And I used to think, hmm, why am I sitting here visualizing how to rock climb? Shouldn't I be on the rock climbing wall training? Like, this doesn't seem worth it. And they said to us that the brain doesn't know the difference between visualizing, uh, say, playing three notes on the piano Mm -hmm. and actually practicing playing those three notes on the Piano, yep. And so we would even watch videos of how to rock climb and
1: things like that. It was done without training. It's true. It, is that true? Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, people incredible. Who, people who've been injured, for example, and can't physically train, mm-hmm. you know, have mentally rehearsed, you know, shooting basketball, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hoops, things like that. And they have performed to an equivalent standard as somebody who has been physically training when they have just been mentally training. It's it's a, like it's like really, it's quite astonishing. So that
0: shows how much we can change our brain your mind. Mm. and what you can create and the potential of performance and in your everyday life. That's just amazing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So what are the takeaways to overcome being self-critical? I'm listening. There's a lot of information here. What can I do?
1: I think... Really, the things that we've touched on that, Im- that are the important things are the mindful awareness, so mm-hmm. just a being able to cultivate that capacity to observe it happening as it's happening and realise that thoughts aren't facts. Um, secondly, recognising that to some degree we all have this inner critic, so we don't want to get critical about our inner critic. Mm-hmm. We want to bring some more self-compassion. And then thirdly, really practising that self-kindness and bringing a more positive, positive thoughts, positive energy, gratitude, kindness to other people, being of service, like moving away from that self-referential kind of thinking Mm -hmm. into more... Um, what what am I here to do and achieve? Like the, uh, Getting out of our own way, mm. I guess. Mm. Giving yourself a break. Yeah. Thank you, Cass. I tell you, meditation,
0: mindfulness, that's where it's at. You train the mind and you will train the body. Thank you. Next episode, we are going to be talking about sweet treats, sugar addiction, and is sugar really that bad? You're listening to Crappy to Happy with Tiff and Cass. We'll see you next time.
1: Crappy to Happy was recorded in the Podcast One studios. Produced by Dave Zbielinski. Audio production by Nick Slater. For more episodes and to check out other great podcasts, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.